I'm Fry. And I'm Bree. And we are bringing you a special reading of Dante's Paradiso. Just like we did for Pope Anastasius II when he appeared in the Sixth Ring of Hell, we now bring you Pope Gregory the Great and his role in heaven. Are you ready for this, Fry? Yeah, sure. We're not going to do the whole precursor into Dante thing and the Divine Comedy as a whole because we've already done that. And you can check out our first bonus episode we did on Dante's Inferno, which came out right after Anastasius II's episode. So it'll be bonus episode 52B. But we are going to talk a little bit about Paradiso, because this is not hell. It's the opposite. It's Paradiso. It's Paradiso, yes. So Paradiso, aka Paradise is the third Canticae, or part of Dante's Commedia, and the conclusion after Dante traverses through hell and then purgatory. Here in heaven, Dante is guided by Beatrice, who was the woman he had loved in life and is a representation in his writing of the divine. In Paradiso, heaven is conceptualized as existing in concentric spheres around the earth, with planets representing different spheres, kind of in a similar fashion to the concentric rings of hell. And just like the descent into hell, these spheres represent a soul ascending, so each sphere represents a different heavenly virtue or being, which increase in value or virtuosity as you go. So we have the moon for the inconstant, Mercury for the ambitious, Venus for the lovers, the sun for the wise, Mars for the warriors of the faith, Jupiter for just rulers, Saturn for the contemplatives, the fixed stars for faith, hope, and love, the prima mobile for the angels, and the empyrean for God. That's where God hangs out. So... Pope Gregory I's appearance occurs in Canto 19 and 20. Do you want to guess which sphere he's in? No, I absolutely do not want to guess which sphere any of these people are in. Well, you know, it could have been the warriors of the faith, but in fact, he is in the sixth sphere of heaven, which is Jupiter for the just rulers. And this is interesting. He's not actually there for his own just ruling, but we're going to get there. The symbology otherwise is fairly clear, with Jupiter having been the king of the gods in the Roman pantheon, so thusly the named planet is the heavenly sphere for good rulers. Makes sense. Now, we're going to kind of recap the 19th canto and the 20th canto, even though we're only going to read the 20th canto. But in order to understand what's happening in the 20th, we have to go over the 19th. So. In the 19th canto, Dante, while he's traversing through the spheres of heaven, poses a pressing philosophical question that I think many religious minds have wondered throughout the ages, which is essentially, if a man lives in a time or place where he was never able to hear of Christ or of God, but he lived an extremely good and virtuous life, 
is it just for him to be condemned by God to hell? Right? If you lived in a time before the word of God existed on earth, is it just that you should be condemned to hell? And so he's kind of struggling with this question himself. And the souls who he is speaking to, who at this point have taken the shape together, all the souls have kind of combined into the shape of an imperial eagle, they answer him that it is just, but the reasons for this are only known to God. The eagle then condemns several rulers by names, like Christian rulers who will also be condemned, who have committed crimes or sins or caused suffering to their people, like Albert of Austria and Philip the Fair, Ferdinand IV of Castile, Wenceslas IV, Charles of Anjou, and more. So that's the 19th canto, is the start of this question, is it just? And the answer, yes, but you don't understand why. In the 20th canto, the souls that make up the eagle start to sing. What? Yeah, they're just, it's just this eagle made out of souls, and now it's singing. And through the process of the singing, I'm, I'm very much condensing this, Dante is compelled to look at the eye of the eagle. And he realizes that the eye contains six souls considered to be the highest souls in this sphere of heaven. Is one Greg? It's not Greg. No. I'm so baffled by this idea of a giant eagle made out of souls. It is not... I don't remember what I was watching. I think it was Gantz, oh, is maybe what it's called. And there's definitely, like, a demon monster that's entirely made out of naked women, and that is what I am picturing, but as an eagle. You would not be too terribly far off. It is, you know, I was trying to find a way to summarize this very quickly, and it's like, ooh, how do I explain an eagle made out of souls? So, Well, it doesn't have titty knees, so I think we're a little bit better slightly thank god now he's looking at the eyeball and basically the way they describe this is one of the people we're talking about is going to be the the pupil and then the other five souls are the eyebrow not that it matters but that's the thing that's happening we're looking at this eyeball and it makes up six souls and here we have several just rulers we have the biblical kings david and hezekiah the Roman emperors Trajan and Constantine, the Sicilian king William II, and a Trojan leader called Riphius. And a lot of this is done in very vague allegory, so very few of these people are mentioned by name. They're referred to by other actions that they have. And this is something that's going to become important as we go on, because Gregory never gets mentioned by name oh. in this entire thing. He appears... And everyone is very, very clearly in agreement that this is Gregory that they're talking about, but he never gets named directly. Has some titty knees. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sending me titty knees? I gotta look at this. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, I like how the vagina of the tiny woman is making the vagina of the large woman with her legs. <laughs> That seems like opportune placement. <laughs> they definitely did that on purpose. The titty knuckles, too. <laughs> wow. So that is the thing. I mean, we already talked about how horrifying angels are, but 
now we have titty knees and titty knuckles and leg vaginas and look for whatever reason they don't have the 3d rendered version of this on the internet to be easy to find which is 10 times more terrifying somehow and yeah so okay imagine this eyeball of these men now Uh uh-huh we've got david and hezekiah trajan and constantine william the second and riffius and strangely it's gonna be through emperor trajan's story that pope gregory's gonna make an appearance despite the fact that these men did not at all live in the same time period like trajan ruled in 98 to 117 ad and we've got gregory in like 590 to 604 what you want dante to suddenly be historically accurate now you know that is a fair point considering how this is all gonna play out we right away start to get a an explanation for why these souls are given this elevated status of being in heaven and so i'm just going to quickly run over some of these with you so King David, the biblical David, earned his place in heaven by learning to accept God's inspiration and exercising free will to act as God's instrument rather than being a passive purveyor of whatever God had in store for him. Trajan comes next, but we're going to do him last so that we can cover Gregory's role. Hezekiah earned his place because when he was told that it was his moment to die, He was immediately filled with repentance and prayed to God for mercy. And when he was given another 15 years of life, he led a very, very virtuous life. Emperor Constantine had initiated the conversion to the empire to Christianity, so big good in his favor. But Dante writes about his his huge donations to the wealth of the church under Pope Sylvester is kind of seen as this, like, inception point of making the church greedy. And so he was kind of like, oh, are you getting into heaven or not? But God forgave him because it wasn't his fault that the church got greedy because it wasn't his intention to make the church greedy when Constantine gave them all this wealth. William, too, was a good and just ruler and was rewarded despite his throne being passed to corrupt rulers after his death. He's not held responsible for that. It's not his fault. Exactly. God is acknowledging that it is not his fault. Now, Riffius of Troy, this is the interesting one because he died as a pagan, obviously having lived long before Christ as a Trojan man, but God saved him from damnation for a life of virtue, and in his salvation, he learned about this mysterious work of God. So it's a super, super circular logic piece. That we'll come back to in a minute. So this is what Dante is told about these men. And at the end of all of it, he doubts what he's heard. He's like, I just don't get it. And before he can stop himself, he says, can this be? The eagle, like, flips out. He's like, how dare? We just told you everything and you still have doubts. So it tells Dante that the will of God is one because it would be one which is a statement that is not really supposed to make sense to our human logic. The missile knows where it is because it knows where it isn't. It knows where it is by knowing where it isn't, therefore knowing where it wasn't. It's like trying to explain to him, stop questioning and just listen. This is where we learn the details of what happened with Emperor Trajan, because as the logic would dictate, Trajan was not a Christian. 
And so why he is in heaven is down to Pope Gregory. And again, Gregory is never named, but the inference would be clear to any who understood this legend that existed about Trajan and Gregory, which appeared in the early Middle Ages sources like Pseudo-John Damascene and Gabriel Brielle. This was a myth that existed in the time of Dante, so... You're going to have to back up a second. Okay. Why is that man named Pseudo-John Damascene? Is there a real John Damascene? There is a real John Damascene, and then there are writings that are attributed to John Damascene that are not John Damascene, so they get to be called the Pseudo-John Damascene. We're going to get a lot of those coming up because we're going to be dealing with the Pseudo-Isidorian writings and everything as we go, and it's going to be a journey. So... The story goes that Trajan died still refusing to accept Christ and Christianity, which we know to be true. We know that he never converted to Christianity. And so at his death, he didn't come to heaven. He went to hell, and he learned the error of his ways. But he was allowed to come back to life through the prayers of Pope Gregory the Great, who apparently held such an emotional investment on how just and good a life the long-gone emperor had lived, that for some reason he decided he was going to pray ardently. You must, you must, you must. Yeah, you must, you must, you must come back to life. And, and he does. And <laughs> Trajan is, yeah. You did this, Patreon. <laughs> the second season's coming. So Trajan does get revived. And apparently when he is brought back to life after 400 years of being dead and being in hell, he converts immediately as he's brought back to life. That hell place. He converts and then he just dies again. And he thus earns the reward of his previously virtuous life. But now he has the acceptance of Christ. So now he's in heaven. Thanks very much, Gregory, for bringing me back to life for a hot minute. Just for a second. They give a very similar, like, circular argument for Riffius, and they say that that he was able to learn of the mysterious work of God, even though he existed so long before the word of God existed on Earth, because somehow God was able to give him, like, a vision, a glimpse into the future, into a world where Christianity existed, and when he saw this vision, he went, ah, yes, if I lived in that world, I would convert. And so I must convert right now to something that didn't even exist in his time period. And so then somehow he was able to legitimize this in a way by being baptized when he died. But he was not baptized by a person. He was baptized by the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, because that's a thing. So Dante seems pretty overwhelmed by the confusing and unpredictable and unbelievable things that he's just been told. He's like, what? And he decides that as a human being, it is a blessing to him not to know God's plans and that humans should never try to analyze or translate what God's plans are or try to predict them because humans must accept human limits and not try to understand things that are beyond them. And that is where we get with Canto 20. Are we relatively clear <laughs> on what happens there? Sure, buddy. All right, it's time to read Dante's Paradiso, Canto 20, 
When he who all the world illuminates out of our hemisphere so far descends that on all sides the daylight is consumed, the heaven that erst by him alone was kindled doth suddenly reveal itself again, by many lights wherein is one resplendent, and came into my mind this act of heaven, when the ensign of the world and of its leaders had silent in the blessed beak become. Because those living luminaries all, by far more luminous, did songs begin, lapsing and falling from my memory. O gentle love, that with a smile doth cloak thee, how ardent in those sparks didst thou appear, that had the breath alone of holy thoughts. Holy thoughts! Exclamation point. thoughts. After the precious and peculid crystals with which begemmed the sixth light I beheld, silence imposed on the angelic bells. I seemed to hear the murmuring of a river that clear descendeth down from rock to rock, showing the affluence of its mountaintop. And as the sound upon the sithern's neck taketh its form, and as upon the vent of rustic pipe the wind that enters it, even thus, relieved from the delay of waiting, that murmuring of the eagle mounted up along its neck as it had been hollow. There it became a voice, and issued thence from out its beak in such a form of words as heart waited for wherein I wrote them. The part in me which sees and bears the sun in mortal eagles, it began me, now fixedly must needs be looked upon, for the fires of which I make my sparkle, those whence the eye doth sparkle in my head, of all their orders the supremest are. He who is shining in the midst as pupil was once the singer of the Holy Spirit who bore the ark from city to city. Now knoweth he the merit of his song, in so far as effect of his own counsel, by the reward which is commensurate. Of five that make a circle for my brow, he that approaches nearth to my beak did the poor widow for her son console. Now knoweth he how dearly it doth cost not following Christ by the experience of his sweet life and of his opposite. He who comes next in the circumference, of which I speak upon its highest arc, did death postpone by penitence sincere. Now knoweth he that the eternal judgment suffered no change, albeit worthy prayer maketh below tomorrow of today. The next who follows, with laws and me, under the good intent that bore bad fruit, became a Greek by ceding to the pastor. Now knoweth he how all the ill deduced from his good action is not harmful to him, although the world thereby may be destroyed. In he whom in the downward arc thou seest, Guglielmo. <laughs> Guglielmo. Guglielmo. <laughs> Are you sure? There's no the Guglielmo. <laughs> you can call him Guglielmo. 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 <laughs> it's it's literally Italian for William. Was whom the same land deplores that weepeth Charles and Frederick yet alive. Now knoweth he how heaven enamored is with just king, and in the outward show of his effulgence he reveals it still. Who would believe, down in the errant world, that e'er the Trojan Ripheus in this round could be the fifth one of the holy lights? Now knoweth he enough of what the world has not the power to see of grace divine, although his sight may not discern the bottom. Like as a lark that in the air expatiates, 
first singing and then silent with content of the last sweetness that doth satisfy her. Such seemed to me the image of the imprint of the eternal pleasure by whose will doth everything become the thing it is. And notwithstanding to my doubt, I was as glass is to the color that invests it, to wait the time in silence it endured not, but forth from out my mouth what things are extorted with the force of its own weight, whereat I saw a great joy of coruscation. Thereafterward, with eyes still more enkindled, the blessed standard made to me reply to keep me not in wonderment suspended. I see that thou believest in these things, because I say them, but thou seest not how, so that although believed in, they are hidden. Thou doest as he doth, Thou doest as he doth who a thing by name well apprehendeth, but its quiddity cannot perceive unless another show it. Regnum colorum suffereth violence from fervent love, and from that living hope that overcometh the divine volition, not in the guise that man o'ercometh man, but conquers it because it will be conquered, and conquered conquers by benignity. The first life of the eyebrow and the fifth caused the astonishment, because with them thou seest region of the angels painted. They pass not from their bodies as thou thinkest, Gentiles, but Christians in the steadfast faith of feet that were to suffer and had suffered. For one from hell, where no one e'er turns back, unto goodwill returned unto his bones, and that of living hope was the reward M- Something went wrong there. Of living hope that placed its efficacy in prayers to God made to resuscitate him, so that were possible to move his will. M dash. The glorious soul concerning which I speak, returning to the flesh where brief its stay, believed in him who had the power to aid it, and in believing kindled to such fire of genuine love that at the second death worthy it was to come unto this joy. The other one, through grace, that from so deep a fountain wells that never half the eye of any creature reached its primal wave, set all his love below on righteousness. Wherefore, from grace to grace did God unclose his eye to our redemption yet to be. He only has one eye now, God. Mm-hmm. Whence he believed therein and suffered not from that day forth the stench of paganism, and he reproved therefore the folk perverse. Those maidens three whom at the right hand wheel thou didst behold were unto him for baptism. More than a thousand years before baptizing, O oh, thou predestination, how remote thy root is from the aspect of all those who the first cause do not behold entire love it and you O oh mortals hold yourselves restrained in judging for ourselves who look on god we do not know as yet all the elect and sweet to us is such a deprivation because our good in this good is made perfect and that whatsoever god wills we also will after this manner, that by shape divine, to make clear in me my short-sightedness, was given to me a pleasant medicine. And as good singer, a good lutenist accompanies with vibrations of the chords, whereby more pleasantness the song acquires. So while it spake, I do remember me that I beheld both of those blessed lights, even as the winking of the eyes concords, moving unto the words their little flames. 